All right. Well, if you have a Bible, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are in a series in Ecclesiastes this summer, and uh, we're in week three, and we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter three, and this is an interesting book of the Bible uh, that we've been diving into, and if you've, uh, if, you, if, you've, if you've missed out and you want to catch up, you can find those online um, on our website, but um, you know, we, uh, we honored our, our graduates uh, this morning, and they have had a significant milestone, if you will, in life, right? We made the joke about it's the easiest thing and all that sort of stuff, easiest part of your life. But it's a, it's a, we have these milestones in life that we commemorate, right? And so you were born and you have a birthday and we, we celebrate our birthday and then you have your first word, right? And the parents usually remember that. We don't, uh, as, uh, as, as the, uh, when we're the babies, but obviously the parents do. They write that down somewhere and know what the first word is and there's the first birthday and that's always a bigger deal than the other birthdays. And then you begin to walk and you begin to um, grow and mature. Then there's that big first day of school, right? The big first day of school where you head off to school. And then we move on and there's the driver's license. And then there's graduation, which we've commemorated today. And then you begin college or whatever the next phase is. And you graduate, you get a job, you get married, you have kids. And then you begin mostly to live the milestones of other people's lives, right? If you have kids, you, your, your milestones are really their milestones. As you begin to watch it, you just kind of take a different seat in it. But life is made up of these. You know, I was, I sat in on the students Wednesday night Bible study a few weeks ago and Dave wrote up on the board, the whiteboard in there, uh, these words, spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, wills. <laughs> And I thought, what is that? You know, what are they teaching in here? I mean, I, you know, there's no Bible verse on the board, just some words that rhyme, what is happening? But Dave explained that those were the phases of life. And when he said that, I went, I said, I know exactly where I'm at, right? <laughs> Bills, right? And so, and Dave began to share with me that he was moving into the ills stage. And so, but you probably know where you're at in that. And uh, interesting way, but you know, life is full of phases. It's full of seasons. It's full of all these things. And life is a vapor. And it's very quickly passing before us. Um, you reach out and you try to grab it and you can't. And in this journey, as we have these milestones and things we commemorate, we also we have seasons of life we would kind of like to hit the fast forward button on at times. Times we would like to hit rewind. And a lot of times we would really just like to hit pause. I've had a lot of those seasons. And we can't, we can't, if we could just bottle it up, you know, we would bottle it up, but we can't do that. Life is fleeting, it's a vapor, it's passing by quickly. And we are creatures of time. And time is what we're talking about this morning and the reality of time in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to reflect on time and how to make the most of our time while we're here on earth. If you're a Christian this morning, you know, we know there's this thing called eternity, right? We believe time goes on. So we know that the time we have in this life pales in comparison to eternity. Life goes, time goes on forever. So how do we live in light of this? At the end of the day, whether you're a graduating senior or a middle schooler or a senior adult or a young parent or a single or a college student or a baby boomer or wherever you're at in life, the big key here this morning I want you to hear is do not waste your life. And to do that, you can't waste your time because time makes up our 
lives. We need to, as they say, seize the day. But what does that mean for a Christian? How do you live your times and seasons today in light of eternity? How would God have you seize the day? What does it look like? What does that mean? So Christian or not, there are three realities when it comes to time that, that we're going to see this morning in this chapter. We're going to cover the whole chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter. And we're going to move rather quickly through it. And so... We're not going to get to really cover every little part, but we're going to look at the the big chunk of this theme of time in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as we're looking at this idea of what we call, what the writer calls life under the sun. Life in a broken and fallen world with all the stuff that comes with that. And we know life is broken and the world is broken. We can look around and we can see it around us. In our relationships, we see it on our news channels and we feel it in our own lives. And in the midst of that, this morning, how, how do we supposed to live out these days? How do we manage our time? And so we're going to look at the reality of the rhythm of time. And we're going to look at the reality of God and the reality of death. And so look with me at chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to read chunk by chunk. Let's look at the reality of the rhythm of time there in verse chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. One of the most famous passages in, um, the most famous passage probably in Ecclesiastes and partially famous by a group called the Birds who uh, ripped this off for a rock song many years ago. For everything there is a season. Do not say turn, turn, okay? Uh, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So let's pause there and talk about this rhythm we see here. What we're learning from this rhythm of time is that time is structured. There's a structure, there's an order, there's, there's, there's a sense to the things that are going on in this life. We see that there are seasons, he says, and there are times in life. When you look at this list, there are things you look forward to, there are things you may dread, things you may wish you could just skip and not experience, but things you wish weren't on the list, but they're there, right? And it's just a, this is a poem that the writer puts in here to reflect on life. As one person said, it's not that you're necessarily going to experience every little thing in this. He's talking about the seasons of life and the certainty of change. See, there's a rhythm to life. And one certainty that we see here as we look at this rhythm of life is change. Uh, life is full of change. It's really about one of the only certainties that we're sure of. And the other thing we see is common experiences, right? We can all look at this and see things that we've each experienced or will experience, whether it's weeping and laughing or whether it's birth and death. We have we share common experience in life at this time on earth, and it's an experience of change. D.A. Garrett writes, quote, No one can be happy who has not come to grips with the reality that life is full of changes and sorrows as well as continuity and joy. We must accept that we are mortal and governed by time. And that's what the writer's talking about here. Some of these are enjoyable, some of these are not. And the thing you'll notice is, not only is it about change, but we can't control these things, most of them. 
we see that nothing lasts. It's, it's all fleeting. It's always changing and we're not in control of it. We don't dictate really these seasons, do we? The seasons are constantly changing and we're not really in control. You know, when, if you go on a long road trip, um, let's say, you know, like if we go back to Alabama to visit family and things like that, that's about an 11 hour drive back to where my, my, my parents live. And, you know, you gotta decide who's gonna be in charge of the radio. Right, on a drive like that. And it's real simple. It's whoever's driving. Because they're the one that's got to stay awake and got to be happy and not irritable. And, uh, and music can help with that, right? And so, and what you don't do, so if I'm driving and I'm driving this long stretch, right? I, what I don't tend to do is to keep my finger constantly on the radio or I don't hit, uh, scan and just listen every 30 seconds or so to pieces of music. I kind of, I'm in a mood. Whatever that mood may be. And that mood may call for, as many times it does for me, country music. Um, not some of what we have today that we call country music. Um, or uh, or pop music, or rock music, or folk music, or, or Christian music, or whatever it may be, right? The mood you're in, right? And so you'll tend to listen to that for a while, then you'll be in another mood, and you might change it an hour or so later. But you don't just constantly skip around, right? You don't. That's frustrating. That's annoying if you're one of those people that's in the car constantly touching the radio station. And the thing about life is, it's kind of like as we're on this journey, we're not the DJ. And we don't really control the season that we're in. And the season's kind of like the radio stations. They're constantly changing. And sometimes they change rather abruptly. From Yeah, there's a season for mourning and a season for rejoicing and there's a season for keeping silent and a season for speaking and, and a time to love and all these sort of things, right? But sometimes it's rather abrupt. The season of life you're in can change like that. It can go from feasting to fasting without a moment's notice. That's just the reality. You cannot control the rhythm of life. You are not the DJ. You're not the chef in the kitchen mixing the ingredients together. But we do have to answer the question is, what season of life are we in? It's really frustrating when you don't understand that and you try to fight that because these seasons aren't forever. High school wasn't forever for these students this morning and life in general is not forever on this earth for us. Life is fleeting and you can't control it. So know your season. Know that whatever season you're in is temporary. And by the way, that can be good news. <laughs> that can be good news. and Because it can really... It can really affect you emotionally and spiritually and mentally and in a lot of ways when we get stuck in this mindset that things are always going to be the way they are. We've got to accept the reality of this passage. Because if you don't accept the reality of this passage, of this rhythm of time, you won't prepare for death. And we do a very poor job of that. It's the last thing you want to think about. It's the one thing you can't change. We won't prepare for change. You know, people that that just refuse to accept change and go with change can be, honestly, difficult people to be around sometimes. And we don't like change naturally, do we? But there's a lot of change in life we see from verses 1 through 8. And if you don't accept this, you won't, you won't really live in reality. And you'll constantly be fighting the reality that life's not perfect and that seasons don't last and that life's always changing. So there's a rhythm to life. But then in verses 9 through 15, he focuses on the reality of God. And that shows us that time and us are subject to someone. So, the, so there's this pattern, there's this structure to time, but time is also subject. And it's subject to God. Look at verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God 
has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been seen, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's go down through verse 17. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. So he brings up God. He doesn't bring up God in the first eight verses, but verses 9 through 17, he talks much about God. And he's drawn this picture of events and of seasons and of this uncontrollable nature and rhythm to life. And as one person said, that picture of the seasons of life out of control can can kind of feel like a prison if you look at it from the wrong perspective. Life can kind of feel that way, right? It's just this monotonous thing that you can't change. People are born, they go through these seasons, there's this, there's that, and you die, right? And looked at it from a strictly human standpoint in a strictly broken world, it could be kind of a major downer, right? But in verse 9 he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? And that's kind of drawing the emphasis to that. What is the purpose from all of this? And he says, I have seen the business that God, and he inserts God, has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's used that phrase before, and he's starting to insert the sovereignty of God into the situation. And so as we see the reality of God in these verses, the first thing he points to is God's sovereignty. A God who is sovereign over all these things. In verse 11, he says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Now what does that mean, Right? Is that is that about you know ugly people becoming pretty? No, not really. I mean, that's not really what it's about. You know, yeah, we're all pretty to God. I get that, but that's not what the verse is about. It really beautiful there can be translated right or appropriate. It's speaking to God's sovereignty in making sense of things. He makes things right in its time. He makes things appropriate in its time. He makes everything beautiful in its time. He makes things fit in its time. In other words, you're not the DJ, but there is a DJ. You're not the chef, but there is a chef. There is someone who is at work. And life is not just random chaos. And in a world full of change and seasons, in a world full of complexity, in a world that makes it obvious that you and I are not in control, we need to feel and know that someone is in control. The tension here, though, is he says, also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There's there's a tension. He's put eternity into your heart, but so that you can not find out what has been done. So while we deal with the reality of time and seasons and, and being fleeting beyond our control, we long for more. We long for eternity. You were made for eternity. You were made for eternity. You were created to live forever. You know, sometimes you experience these moments, as I mentioned earlier, that you wish you could just kind of hit the pause button. You think, if I could just bottle this moment up, if life would just go on like this, if I could just hit pause and just stay right here for a long time, whatever that moment may be. 
You think that life would be perfect. You know why you, you, you long for that? It's because you were made for eternity. Dogs and cats don't think that way. You think that way because you're made for eternity. He has put eternity in your heart. There is a longing for more. You were made for more than fleeting moments. You were made for eternal, never-ending joy. That's what you were made for. And deep in the human heart is the echo of the Garden of Eden. Every human heart. Because God made us to live forever. But sin came in, right? We sinned. We rebelled against God. We shook our fist at God. You say, well, I didn't do that. Adam and Eve did that. Adam and Eve did that and every single one of us have done it since then. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. You don't, you sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. We're born into this world bent towards sin. We don't have to be taught to sin, right? And so, yeah, we're broken and we're messed up and we're sinners and we've rebelled against God and so we die and life is fleeting and life is perishing and death has come into the world. But deep inside we know we were made for more than this. And that every soul, that every person will live forever somewhere. We'll all experience death, but we'll live forever somewhere. And while we... Have eternity in our hearts and this longing that we're created for more and this longing to know more and to experience more. He says there's so much we can't know. He says, yet he's, God has done this so that He's done it in such a way that we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We cannot fully comprehend all God has done. We are limited. We long for eternity, but only God is eternal. So wait, Josh, you just said that we're going to live on forever somewhere. Yeah, but you have a start date. <laughs> there was a time you were not. There was a time I was not. Cannon, my little three-year-old, he's having trouble grasping that. He sees a picture of mom and dad and he's not in it. Where am I? You weren't here yet. Am I in mommy's tummy? No, you're not in mommy's tummy. Where am I? You're not? You just weren't. Can't wrap his mind around it, right? What do you mean I'm not there? He has no problem comprehending the pictures of him in him without his little sister. I think he longs for those days sometimes. We... Only God is eternal. We have limitations and restrictions placed on us by God. There are some things you don't know. There are some things God has just determined you're not going to know. So I don't like that. The Bible even says the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things that just belong to Him. There's some knowledge that's just... We will know more one day, believer. We will know more one day, but we will spend eternity learning and growing and knowing. We have limitations. And in this life, we have frustrations, we have struggles, we have seasons we wish we didn't have to experience, and ones we wish we could pause, but only God understands completely all that He is doing and has done, and can make sense of everything that we go through. And maybe today, you're frustrated and angry, maybe you're down, and maybe it's due to the season of life you're in. Or maybe it's due to what you something you don't understand right now about life and what you're experiencing, or have experienced in the past. You know... And when a big movie comes out, and summer's a big time for big movies, right? And so when a big movie comes out, a blockbuster or something, usually if you're looking for that movie or you're curious about it or excited about it, you can go online and you can find there's some still shots, some pictures of the movie scenes that will come out long before the movie ever does, right? And so you'll see Batman in his suit, but you won't understand the scene that, that's in there or whatever. You'll just get still shots, and it don't really make any sense to you other than you're like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. 
And then, right before the movie comes out, a few months before the movie comes out, something called a trailer comes out, right? And they're usually about two, two and a half minutes long. Some of them are even shorter than that. And now you can actually see and understand a little bit more about the movie, and you get a sense of the plot line, so to speak, but you really don't know everything about the movie, or you wouldn't go watch the movie if the trailer told you everything. So a good trailer gives you just enough without giving you everything. It gives you enough to whet your appetite and make you curious, but not to satisfy your thirst. It wants you to come to the movie, right? It's just a snippet. And if you tried to go around and, and, and explain everything about a movie and all you've seen is the trailer, you would leave a lot of stuff out and wouldn't know a lot of stuff and we would really just prove our ignorance. And we need to understand that we are living in moments and still shots and little trailers of a grand story and that God has a story that's bigger than us. It's bigger than my life. It's bigger than your life. It's bigger than our lives. It's, it's a bigger story. God has a grand narrative, a grand story that He's telling, that He's writing, so to speak, that, that He's sovereign over. And we get still shots and we get trailers, but we haven't seen the movie. But God is eternal and God steps back and He sees it all. He sees the very beginning and He sees the very end and He sees everything in between. And He's making it all fit together in the way that He chooses. And we don't understand it all. And we go trying to explain it all away or trying to make sense of every little thing when at the end of the day all we've got is a still shot. We're going to mess up. We're not God. You have a choice today. You can be bitter at God about what you don't understand in life. You can live life like this is simply not true and go through life pretending to be God only to be frustrated time and again. Or you can be angry at God for what you don't like about life. Or you can take Him at His Word and trust what His Word says that He is good and you can trust Him. So how do I know that? Think about the cross. God took the most hideous sinful act in human history. And He used it for the greatest good in human history. That's the God we know. That's the God of the Bible. That's how sovereign He is. That's how good He is. You can trust Him. He says there in verse 12, I perceive there is nothing better than for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And He starts talking about the gift of God. He says that we should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all of our toil. This is God's gift to man. He, has, he says that we need to enjoy and steward our life is really what he's talking about there. Enjoy and steward our life well. You know, gifts are things you steward. You know, your life is a gift from God. The joy is a gift from God. Your work, your job, whatever, these are gifts from God and we are to steward. Eat, drink, take pleasure in His toil. These are gifts from God. And while God has not allowed you to understand everything about life, He has given you the gift to be able to enjoy life. However, this is impossible if you're too busy trying to be Him. Accusing God every time something doesn't go our way. Being bitter about the things that we don't understand. That's us saying that we know better than God. In verse 14, he says, I perceive whatever God does endures forever. He starts talking about the work of God. This is a God who is at work in the world. It's a major contrast in verses 14 and 15 to what Ecclesiastes has taught us about us and what Ecclesiastes is teaching us about God. We are fleeting. We are unable to control time. We endure a life of change without understanding it at all. And we have eternity in our heart. However, what God does endures forever. Big difference. God doesn't need our help. 
That's really what he's driving at here. His works, we're, we're temporary. We're, man, we're, our stuff is fleeting. God, what he does endures forever. He doesn't need our help. We can't add anything or take anything away from his work. It's, it's God and only God whose work is forever. So we can spare the if I were God moments. We can start with the I've got a lot of questions for God when I die talk. He does not need our input. Why has God done this? Why does God do what He does? He says that we would fear Him. What does that mean? Right? So that when He says boo, we'd jump? It means reverential awe. It's worship. The work of God is meant to lead you to the worship of God. Or we're not really paying attention. See, when you contemplate what God has done, if it doesn't lead us to worship, we're really missing the point of what God is doing. Nothing escapes, he goes on to say, God's notice. He gives an accounting of all the times he's saying there in verse 15. While time passes on, many times seeming as history is repeating itself, God seeks what has been driven away. He calls all of time to account. Nothing goes unnoticed, not from the past, from anywhere. He sees it all. And then he goes on to talk about the judgment of God in verses 16 and 17 that we read. There's in the place of justice, there's wickedness in the place of righteousness to see wickedness. You ever feel that way? You ever look and you say there should be justice there, but there's wickedness. There should be righteous there, but there's wickedness. He says, it's okay, it's true, but, but God will judge both the righteous and the wicked. That's meant to, to be an encouragement to us in an unjust world that there is one who will set things right. There is a just judge. It's also meant to be a warning that every single one of us will give an account to God for our time here on this earth. You will give an account to God for this life before the God of this Bible. In a world full of pain and justice, He says, take heart, God will judge. And at the same time, He says, be warned, God will judge. There is not a moment that God has not seen. There is not a person that will not give an account. It's the reality of our time here on this earth. There's a God that we will give an account to. But know this, as we've said, alluded to earlier, our time here is not forever. He begins to, in verses 18 through 22, he talks about the reality of death. Look at verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? He compares man to the beast, to the animals. And his point here is not that there is no difference between a man and a beast, by the way. You would think that that would go without saying, but in our world today, you have to spell that out for people. That the biblical worldview is that there are animals and that there are people and that people matter more every single time. Even the people you don't like. <laughs> They're made in the image of God. Animals are not. So he's not saying that, hey... We're just like the animals and there's no difference. That's not his point. What's his point? His point is we have a common experience with the animals. There is a way. This is meant to humble us, this passage. It's meant to show us that there is a way that we're like the animals. You know, when I was a kid, we used to, I grew up in rural Alabama. 
And one of the biggest things of the year was the county fair. It's not a big deal here because we have this thing called Disney World. and it's, So the county fair like stays far away. from The father doesn't even come near here, right? And so, But in Alabama, that was a big deal, right? It would come in for like all of September, right after school started. All of September was the county fair, right? And so you would, just, you would go and you'd go and you'd go, whatever. And you'd ride the rides that they put together in three and a half minutes. And you would waste $20 to win a, a rigged game. And, and, and you'd do all those things you do at the county fair. But one thing that they used to, if you won a certain game, I can't remember how it worked exactly. But they, one of the easiest processes, it seems like, there was this, this fish in a bag. A little goldfish in a little plastic bag of water. You know what the life expectancy on anything in a bag is, much less something you want at a county fair? Not very long. You'd get it home, and by the next day, usually it was floating upside down. What the writer of Ecclesiastes is wanting us to know is when you see that fish upside down, remember, you share a lot with it. You too shall die. That's what he's saying. I know that sounds dark, but that's what he's driving at. He said, there's a way that we are a lot like the animals. We're going to die too. We're going to die too. In verses 21 and 22, he's not denying the afterlife. Because in chapter 12, verse 7, that we'll get to in several weeks, he says the Spirit returns to God. His point is this. He's emphasizing the limited knowledge of those under the sun. He's saying we know what we know. Listen, there's things that we know due to God's Word, but apart from God's Word, what would we really know? We wouldn't be able to comprehend and understand a lot of things, much less what happens after we die. We know what we know because God's Word tells us so, but on our own, we don't know a lot. We're limited. He's stressing the limitations on this life. Life is fleeting. So he says, seize the day, enjoy your toil. He comes back to that common theme. And it leaves us with this big question. How do you live in the light of the reality of this sort of time? In the light of the reality of this rhythm of time, a God who is sovereign over time, in the light of the reality that you're going to die and your time on earth is short, how do you live? What do we get? And there's three quick takeaways I want to give you this morning. The first one is you need to choose to live in reality. Embrace reality. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 in the New Testament, Apostle Paul wrote this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That's a command from God to make the best use of your time. If you're a believer, you're supposed to leverage and utilize and use your time wisely because the days are evil. The days are passing away. So you need to embrace, part of living wisely with your time is embracing reality, choosing to live in the reality that we've spoken about this morning. That life has seasons and that it's changing and that there are times that are going to be harder than others, busier than others, more exciting than others. There are times you need to work harder and times you need to sleep more. And just embrace the reality of this life. And at the same time, you don't control it. Embrace that and choose to live in the reality that while you don't control everything, There is one who is sovereign over everything, and that is God. Life is not meant to be lived with you at the steering wheel, right? God is not a co-pilot. He he wants to be in control. He is in control. And He wants you to yield control of your life to Him. And short of Christ's return, you're going to die. And that's a reality not to run from, but to live in light of. I'm telling you, if you live life like you're never going to die, you will live a poor life. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, the psalmist said. You know who doesn't number their days? A fool. You can't live wisely if we don't number our days. 
I'm not talking about being morbid and having some weird clock on your computer, you know, or something like that. I'm just saying live in life, prepare to die, prepare, live in a way that says I'm going to meet God one day and this life is going to expire. Accept reality. You're not going to be a student forever. You're not going to be single forever. You're not going to have your kids at home forever. You're not going to be in good health forever. And you're not going to live on this earth forever. And much of it is out of your control. So choose to live in the light of reality. Number two, choose to live in light of God's good gift. It's not Life's not a passive activity. It's an active activity. You know, a lot of people sit around and talk like life just always happens to them. They're always the victim. And sometimes we are. But life's not meant to be something that's always happening to you. What does he say? He says, you be joyful. You do good. Those are active things. It's a choice. You go out and choose to enjoy your life and choose to do good. This is God's gift to man. You can't enjoy life apart from Him. When he says enjoy life, he's not talking about some hedonistic pursuit. It's all under the context of God's gift to man. It's all under the context of living life in light of God, in light of the Creator, and how He would say you should live it, and how His Word says you should live it. Enjoy life by living in sync with God, not by living in rebellion with God, would be what he would say. And when he says do good, what does that mean? Listen, there's no doing good apart from doing God's will. He goes on to say that it's God, it's what He does that endures forever. So when he says do good, it's in light of that context. Doing the will of God. Ephesians 5.17, I read you 5.15 and 16. 5.17 says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you want to use your life, life wisely, you've got to understand God's will and do God's will. You say, what's God's will? This is God's will. Well, this does, that doesn't tell me where to go to college. That doesn't tell me who to marry. That doesn't tell me what, what to do for a living. That doesn't tell me whether I should buy this house or not. You're right. But I've never met someone who sought to do the revealed will of God that just continually messed up the unclear things in the will of God. When we get busy doing what we know to do, what God's Word tells us to do. Everything else just tends to fall in place. Not that there's not struggles and failures and seasons of prayer and fasting and seasons of, of, of being really curious, but you get busy doing what God says. And He has a way of helping the other things fall into place. Life is never all it could be if it's not lived in the light of the Creator. So choose to live life in light of God's good gift of joy and enjoying life and living what Ecclesiastes would say the good life. And thirdly, choose to walk in the fear of the Lord. He says the reason God does what He does is so the people would fear before Him. We said that meant reverential awe. He's not speaking of God being spooky. <laughs> like He's going to do something bad to you. He's speaking of God being awesome. He's speaking of God and uh, being God and us responding to God as we should respond to God and that's with awestruck worship. God wants me and He wants you to know we are creation and He is Creator and to live that way. God wants us to worship Him. God wants to be worshipped. You say, how do you know that? He made you. He didn't make you because He needed you. He, made, he didn't make me because He needed me. He made us because He wants us and He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to fear Him. That's why He does what He does. We live in reverential awe and fear and worship before Him. Believers in the Bible are those that truly fear the Lord. You'll see that, time, that, that word phrase a lot in the Old Testament. It's a description, should be a description for believers. We are those who live in the fear of the Lord. And there's a generic sense, I get, that even an unbeliever can have, a sort of a generic 
common grace, respect, so to speak. But it's a lot more than that, the fear of the Lord. It's a reverential awe and worship, a fear that responds to God the way God should be responded to. Worship, surrender, obedience. And you know what? We show a lack of fear of God if we continue in unrepentant sin. You say, I fear the Lord. Do you? You fear the, the God who says He's going to judge the wicked? Do you continue in wickedness? Do you continue in sin? When we continue in unrepentant sin, we are showing, I'm not living in the fear of the Lord. If you've not fully trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, you're showing you don't live in the fear of the Lord. So how do you know? Well, Jesus said you can't even know the Father if you don't come through Him. It's Jesus that reveals to us the Father that reveals to us God. And if, if so, if we don't come by way of Jesus, if we don't show Jesus the respect and honor he, He's due, we not only don't show God respect and honor, we disrespect God. It's His Son. It's God the Son. He's God the Son. And the fear of the Lord begins at the feet of the Son. Kiss the Son, lest you perish in the way, the psalmist says. It begins at the feet of the Son of God. Do you know Him? Only those that fear the Lord will properly yield their lives to Him. How do you most fulfill a heart that longs for eternity? You know? I heard somebody say one time, only three things are going to last forever. Your relationship with God, believer, the souls of man, and the Word of God. If you want to have an impact beyond the fleeting life, get busy on mission with God and His work. His work lasts forever. His work endures forever. What would our church look like? What would communities around us look like? What would your life and your family look like? What would it look like if we really begin to seize the day for the glory of God? If we really begin to live this way? If we really begin to live realistically? If we really begin to live the kind of life that choose to live the kind of life God intends and we really begin to live in the fear of the Lord? You know, some today, that means repentance. That means stop wasting your time. That means stop being apathetic about life. Some of us today as believers need to repent of those things and to begin to seize the day in terms of living in light of the glory of God. But for some today, it needs to begin at the feet of Jesus. You know, maybe you're here today and it's never really struck you why life is so fleeting and so broken and so messed up. But the good news of the Bible is that while life is broken and while we are sinners and while we are deserving of God's wrath because He is holy, we're going to be judged, right? We're going to give an account. And while we're deserving of nothing short of hell, according to the Bible, the good news of the Bible is that in a world where time is fleeting, in a world where death is certain, in a world where God is real and judgment is coming, the good news of the Bible is that the One who made time stepped into it. That at a point in time in history, God became a man. And He endured the rhythm of life. And He experienced the seasons. And he, there was a time to be born. And for the Lord Jesus, there was a time to die. And He experienced joy. And He experienced sorrow. And He experienced these seasons of life. Galatians 4, 4-5 through 5 says it this way, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
God sent His Son at the right time, at the perfect time in human history. God's, God, God's not the deist God. He's not abstract from humanity, not involved, just kind of sitting back and looking and just letting the clock swing to see. No, God has chosen, right? To enter, He's involved. He is sovereign over and He has sent His Son at the fullness of time, at the right point in human history, to die for you and me. And Jesus experienced that rhythm of time. And Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to live trusting the One sovereign over our times and seasons. It was Jesus who prayed in the garden, Take to let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours. And it was Jesus who tasted death for you and for me so that we could not experience, so we could avoid experience the wrath of God at judgment. And so that we can share in His victory over death. Jesus has come and He redeems us so that we can redeem the time. Let me ask you today, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you genuinely turned from your sin and embraced Him as Lord and as Savior? No better time than today. It's real simple. So, oh, I need to do this, then I need to do that. No, 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 no. He doesn't ask that you get cleaned up and then come to Him. He asks that you come to Him and let Him clean you up. You just come simply as a sinner in need of grace. And even today, if right where you sit, if you'll admit your need to God, and if you'll run to Jesus in faith and embrace Him as Lord and Savior, the One who died in your place and rose again, right there you can be saved. You can be rescued. Jesus would love to redeem you today. And you can begin living a life redeeming the time. Believer, are you redeeming the time? Are you seizing the day? Or are we piddling? Right? We are a part of an eternal kingdom. And Jesus says, seek first my kingdom. Why? It's the things of His kingdom that last forever. It's what's most important. Are you doing that?